Today, the sermon is entitled, Because of Her Gladness. Because of Her Gladness. Are the stories that we encounter in the Bible there to help us peek into the world of past generations of faith? Or are there principles that we can find that will apply to our lives today? The answer is yes, both, both. And so this morning, I'd like to take you on a journey into Peter's first century world while also picking up some principles along the way um, that God may be calling our attention to here in the 21st century. And so if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 12. I'm gonna have the scripture on the screen as well, but if you wanna see it in your own Bible, Acts chapter 12 is a place to go. Acts 12, verse one, it begins, now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. And for all of you history nerds, This Herod that is being spoken of here is Agrippa I, Agrippa I, and he became the first official Jewish king since his grandfather, Herod the Great. And so this king, Herod, he was pro-Pharisee, and he actually was regularly in the temple. In verse two, it says, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And beheadings used to be performed by an ax, but now in the first century, they were being performed by a sword. And beheading was the more merciful um, use of execution that was given to those for whom crucifixion was considered to be too harsh, too cruel. In verse three, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Now here is where we will take our first pause to look at a principle that is important for us to understand here in the 21st century. Seeking approval from our friends, from our peers, from our family, from our coworkers, or anyone else, while it may feel nice in the moment, it usually doesn't lead to good results. It is possible to get so caught up with pleasing others that you lay aside your own morality in order to achieve it. If we take this verse and the preceding one at face value, We see that Herod, we see that Agrippa I, he killed James, and then because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he seized Peter also. These two words, key words, because and also, they're very helpful if you're trying to grasp the context of what is going on here. It's as if the only reason Agrippa even thought of seizing Peter was because he knew it would please the Jews. 
Have you ever found yourself doing something simply because you believe it would help other people like you more? I definitely have. But it's a practice I must continue to remove from my life because it can have very negative effects. And not just for me, but for others. And I believe the negative effects here, it wasn't just for Agrippa, but I mean, Peter was the one who was being seized, thrown into prison. He was the unlucky casualty of Agrippa wanting to please the Jews, please his friends. Verse four says, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now, the basic unit of the Roman army was called a contuberium. Contuberium, so a weird word, but this was essentially composed of eight soldiers. Eight soldiers, but sometimes half units were assigned to special tasks, and that's what we see here. So 16 soldiers to take care of one man who was Peter. And then you may have noticed, I'm gonna switch back to verse three. It says now was during the days of unleavened bread. And then in verse four at the end, it says that this was after the Passover. The Passover is mentioned here because there was a Roman custom. And that Roman custom was to use prisoner executions as a form of entertainment for the people. And an execution during or right after a festival would have some very valuable propaganda. It would have propaganda value. Verse five says, Peter was therefore kept in prison. But, but, Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Peter may have felt that he was alone. Peter may have felt that he was forgotten, but he wasn't. His friends, his family, fellow Christians, they were praying for him. God had not forgotten about Peter, and neither had his friends. I find another helpful principle here, and that is don't just pray for your friends but let them know that you're praying. Let them know you're praying for them. Intercessory prayer. This is really just a a, a fancy Christian word for praying for others, praying for others. And it's a beautiful Christian discipline. We pray for others because we believe that God can help them. That's why we do it but we should let them know that we are praying for them so they don't believe that they are alone in their struggles, whatever they're going through. You can can kill two birds with one stone. Remind them that God loves them while also reminding them that you love them. Verse six goes on. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. 
prisoners that were chained between two soldiers, they had no hope. No hope of escape. You're, you're not going to get away. And this practice was twofold. It, it kept the prisoner from being able to escape, yes. But second, it was a weapon of psychological warfare. A prisoner with no hope will have no desire to try and escape. And Peter, he had a guard on his right, he had a guard on his left, and there were also two more guards standing right outside, watching the door. Verse seven says, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. Ancient prisons did not supply clothing the way that they do nowadays. So these were Peter's clothes that he had. And outer garments, when it was chilly, when it was cold, they were often used by the prisoners as as a blanket while they sleep. So it's possible that Peter had taken off his outer garment, he was sleeping on, and that's why the angel's saying, hey, hurry up, get get clothed, we're about to head out. And to gird himself, it might be referring to wrapping a belt or a sash around his waist to to keep his his clothing up because he was about to need to be ready to move, to go. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. In Peter's day, there was a popular Greek story about Dionysus making chains drop off and locked doors open. This little bit of of context here may help us understand why Peter might be thinking, I'm just having a dream. I'm thinking about these stories that I've heard that are going around. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. They went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So, Throughout ancient literature, from from Homer all the way down to Josephus, we see all of these tales of doors opening by themselves. And so this imagery, it even appears in the Hellenistic Jewish story of God freeing Moses from Pharaoh's prison. Is it any wonder that, that Peter, in this moment, at first thought, was thinking, maybe I'm dreaming because the stuff that was happening to him was similar to a lot of the stories that he would have been familiar with there in the first century. But verse 11, it says, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. I love this phrase here, when Peter had come to himself. Maybe he, you know, pinched himself 
and, and realize, okay, uh, that kind of hurt. I'm not dreaming here. This is real life happening before my eyes. Maybe he remembered back to his own experience recounted in Acts chapter five when an angel appeared, opened the doors of the prison, and led he and his companions out. Have you ever stopped to think about that, that Peter didn't have one, but two miraculous prison outbreaks in his life. Whatever happened, we know that Peter went from thinking he was dreaming to knowing for certain that God had come to rescue him, that God had freed him. Verse 12 So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. So the fact that this house has an outer gate, the fact that this house has a slave girl, that lets us know that it's a very, uh, a fairly wealthy resident that was living there. And that Rhoda, which was a common slave name at the time, came to the door rather than being a full-time porter, also lets us know that while they were fairly wealthy, they weren't extremely wealthy. But that gate around the house that lets us know that this was a safe place. And if you're familiar with the early Christians, the first century Christians, it wasn't a safe time to be a Christian. It wasn't a safe time to worship. Believers, they met in homes rather than church buildings during the first three centuries of the church. This was a safe place to worship, to come together and have a bit of a, a prayer meeting. When she, realized, when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So then they said, it is his angel. In ancient Greek comedy, slaves sometimes uttered complete foolishness. But in this story, it's the free people that are speaking kind of foolishly, speaking kind of comically. Considering the purpose for this prayer meeting, which we saw in verse five, they were praying for Peter, that Peter would be protected, that Peter would be sent free. Their surprise is a little bit ironic. They're praying, but they don't really have faith in their prayers. They are going through the motions, asking God for a miracle, and then when the miracle happens, when the prayers are answered, they don't believe it. They don't buy it. No, this girl's out of her mind. We would rather say this girl is crazy than say God has answered our prayer. Ancient hearers would surely have picked up on this irony. And it's this, this last sentence that's quite interesting to me. So they said it is his angel. In some popular Jewish traditions, the righteous would become like angels after death. And so this also gives a bit more insight into the doubts of those 
that we're praying, there are all kinds of stories, all kinds of theologies, all kinds of ideas floating around in their heads. They're searching for the truth. They're seeking for the truth, maybe stumbling a little bit in the dark along the way. But how does God respond? They prayed for God to release him. But if Peter was at their door, their lack of faith has led them to believe, oh, well, if Peter's out there, then he must have been killed, and that's just his angel. I find it comforting, though, that God can still answer our prayers even when we are praying from a place of doubt, from a place of fear, a place of anxiety. In verse 16, it says, now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. I love Peter's insistence here. Just keep on knocking. He, he made it past four guards. He made it past the prison gates. He made it through the city streets without being caught. And he's not going to allow a little gate door to hold him back. He's going to keep knocking. Are you confused by a Bible story? Keep studying it. Are you unsure about God's plan for your life? Keep praying. Do you worry that maybe Jesus isn't as big a part of your life as you believe that he should be? Keep seeking him. Do you have enemies in your life? Keep loving. Be insistent like Peter. And so they, they finally opened the door, and the Bible says that they were astonished. Astonished. This is translated from the Greek word existemi. Existemi. Which translates to amazing, or astonished, or thrown into wonderment. It's a strong word. And this word is used 17 times in the New Testament, and most of the time that it is used, it's followed by people's belief or trust or faith in God being strengthened. I'm not sure if you're fully picking up on what I'm saying here. These early Christians, they were being harassed, killed, seized, and imprisoned, but hope was not lost. They still had hope. God worked a miracle in Peter's life. Peter was then insistent on sharing that news, and when the people received it, they were astonished, and their faith was strengthened. Another little tidbit for us to take away from this story, sharing the way God has worked in your life can bring amazement, astonishment, and wonder into the lives of others and strengthen their trust and faith in God. It is easy to complain. We're usually quick to talk about our struggles, annoyances, and problems in life. And I'm not saying that it's bad to talk about these things because the Bible is very clear that we are to bear one another's burdens. But shouldn't we focus more, much more, on the good things that God has done in our lives? 
shouldn't we be quicker to share positive experiences? We may never know how often God is hoping to use the miracles in our lives to help encourage and strengthen the faith of others. But they won't know if we don't share. Verse 17, this is still Peter here, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. There was a a hand gesture in these days for silence. It involved raising your right hand and holding your pinky out. This is most likely the gesture that, that he made. There's also a gesture when someone was preparing to speak. In essence, this gesture meant, listen to me, I have something very important to say. I I want you to hear this. And this gesture involves extending the thumb and two fingers like this. Have you ever seen any old paintings of Jesus and maybe he's standing here like this? Have you also heard maybe some uh, interesting theories about what that might secretly mean? (laughs) Um, It's a bit silly when people take something that they don't understand and then jump to conclusions that it must mean something nefarious, right? These artists simply wanted people to know that they believed that Jesus had something important to say. And they felt that people should listen up. I also find it a bit comical here that Peter, he had just been banging on the gate door for who knows how long just out there insistently banging, banging, banging. And he'd been knocking loud enough that the people inside the house could hear him. Yet here he is trying to quiet (laughs) these people. The excitement and the astonishment that these people must have been experiencing in this moment, it must have been something else. When was the last time you got that excited about hearing how God was blessing someone else's life. So Peter shows up, he knocks on the door, he shares what God has done for him, and then he leaves. He just leaves. And we don't see him again until Acts 15, verse seven. He's gone for a few chapters, and the SDA Bible commentary had this to say about that. There is no way of knowing to what place Peter made his escape. Some Roman Catholic writers have insisted that he went to Rome and after founding the church there, returned to Jerusalem in time for the council recorded in Acts 15. Without a car or airplane, eh, it's a little hard to believe. Others have suggested that he went to Antioch, which is perhaps less improbable, but there are traces of his presence there until after the Jerusalem council. Some nearer cities, such as Lydda or Joppa, may well have sufficed for a place of refuge. The fact that the name of the place is not given suggests that it was comparatively unimportant for Luke's record. When we read the Bible, it is common. Actually, no, let me, let me say it's very important that we ask questions, 
and we ask questions. But one thing that I've begun to find is that some types of questions are more helpful than others. I personally don't like questions like this. Why did God do it this way? Or why didn't God do it that way? I don't find those questions as helpful. But the types of questions that I do find helpful and the types of questions that I'm trying to get myself to ask more and more as I come to Scripture is, God, what are you trying to say to me through this verse, through this chapter, through this story? And when I got to the end of Acts 12, 17, I asked this very question. And this is the response that I got. Don't worry about the future. Instead, reflect on how God has led in your past and how he is currently leading in the present. Share that with others. Leave the future with God. As we close here today, are you willing to make a commitment with me? I, I know that it's, it's been a little while since I've given you all homework, but I'm gonna give you homework this morning. Over the next few days, take some time to reflect on how you have seen God working in your life. Reflect on that. It doesn't matter if you are harassed, killed, seized, or imprisoned. God is there. By your side. It doesn't matter if you are experiencing doubt, loneliness, fear, or sickness. God is there by your side. He's offering faith, companionship, love, and ultimately eternal life. Think of your past. Do you see God there? You see God there. Maybe he isn't front and center. Maybe he's off to the side. Maybe he's working behind the scenes. Find him. Thank him. How is God leading in your life currently? Has he answered some prayer in a miraculous way? Has he shown you some life-changing truth from his word? Find him. Thank him. And now, share him. Are you willing to commit that at some point over the next few weeks, you will share with somebody else how God has worked in your life? Past or present. Don't worry about the future, but share your past and present experiences. You may never know how God is working in your life. And you may never know how sharing that with someone else can amaze and astonish them. You may never know how their amazement and astonishment can then turn into belief and trust in God. And that, my dear friends, can bring gladness. But for now, I'm going to invite Larie Riedenbaugh to come forward as our elder in charge for today. And after the benediction, you who wish to be dismissed can, can do so. But if there's anybody here that you have any special requests, any special needs, or, or maybe just something amazing that you'd like to share, we would love to listen. 
and lift your petitions, lift your praises to the throne of grace. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, may we experience the type of gladness that Rhoda experienced upon seeing Peter, upon knowing that we serve a God who answers prayers, that we serve a God who works miracles, and that we serve a God who can come in and make up for our weaknesses, make up for our lack of faith, our doubt, our silly mindsets, our harsh words. Lord, we invite you into our lives to cover what you need to cover, but to also open our mouths when they need to be opened. Lord, we pray that as we reflect over the next few days, that then you would give us opportunities to share with others, to share how you have worked in our lives in the past, how you are working in our lives in the present. And that should give us comfort. That should give us hope. That should ease our anxieties for the future. And Lord, as we share these things, we pray that those who hear, those who listen, that their belief, that their trust, that their faith in you would be strengthened or maybe sprout for the first time. Lord, give us those opportunities. Fill us with your spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.